I want you to imagine that it's 1912 and you are getting ready to board the Titanic. You have never had more confidence in your life because you are walking on to the unsinkable ship. A few days into the voyage, you are feeling great. In fact, you are having the time of your life. You have never been on a vessel so big and you have never had so much fun. What you don't know is that the ship has re been receiving warning signals of icebergs lurking in the water. And you are confident because the ship presses ahead. So what if there are warning signs? I mean, we're on the unsinkable ship. And we all know how the story ends. And we would like to think that these kinds of fatal mistakes, these kinds of foolish voyages are unusual and rare. But if we're honest, the reason we resonate with the storyline of the Titanic is because we watch it play out all around us all the time. Most people who are on the verge of ruining their lives have no idea. We have all seen it, and I would venture to say that some of us have experienced it on some measure. But here is the most difficult part about ruining our lives. Almost none of us think that we are that person until it's too late. So maybe the most at-risk person among us is the person who thinks that there is no possible way that they could be in danger. The moment we start believing that we are the unsinkable ship is the moment that we stop taking all the warning signs seriously. Proverbs 14.12 tells us, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. According to the Bible, our lives need some rearranging. This radical reorientation around the person and the work of Jesus Christ is what we call salvation. So here's the good news for people like us who are all just one overconfident decision away from ruining our lives. Wisdom from above came down in the person of Jesus Christ. He descended all the way down into our stupidity and bore the full and complete result of our foolishness by dying on the cross. And now, the only thing that we have to do to not ruin our lives is to join Jesus in the foolishness of the cross. Psalm 49, where we will be today, is a psalm of reorientation. It is a psalm about God's wisdom coming down to us from above. Wisdom is applied knowledge. It is the ability to know how to live. Wisdom is utterly practical. And so if we want to know how to live in this world which belongs to Jesus, we must study the cross of Jesus. Because the cross is the shape of the wisdom of Jesus. The only way to truly live is to choose to die. So if you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm 49. And we're going to read the whole psalm together. Psalm 49. For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth will speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart will be understanding. 
I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the harp. Why should I fear in days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me, even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. For he sees that even wise men die. The stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words. Selah. As sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. And their form shall be for Sheol to consume so that they have no habitation. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Selah. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is God's word. So here's the plan today. We're going to look at nine ways to ruin my life. We are going to stare at the warning signs. And then we are going to cast ourselves at the foot of the cross so that we might find the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus. But before we dive in this morning, I want to pray. I want to pray that God would humble our hearts, that he would soften our hearts so that we would be able to receive his word. So let's pray together. God, right now, we heard your word. You have spoken to us. So I ask and I pray that you give us soft hearts. Give us humble spirits. God, make us willing to confess and to repent and to turn back to you again this morning. We desperately need you. Our lives are in shambles, but we know that you are a solid rock. So lead us to the rock this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, the first way to ruin my life is to believe that I am the exception. All people need God's wisdom. God's message today is for you, and there are no exceptions. Look how verse 2 puts it. Both low and high, rich and poor, together 
Together means joined in partnership on the same level, in the same place. We may think that we are special. We may think that we are enlightened. We may think that we are civilized. But when God comes and addresses us, he only sees one thing, all people together. So the quickest way for me to ruin my life is for me to believe that I am the exception. You know, we think, sure, there are bad people out there, but I am a good person. Newsflash, we all think that. You know, we hold people to certain standards that we don't even keep ourselves. We are so good at applying the sermon to everybody else's life but our own. We are always talking and never listening, always teaching and never learning. When I was a student at Coastal, I thought I could outsmart the system. I figured that if I got less than three parking tickets in a semester, that it would be cheaper than purchasing a parking pass. Well, when I went to my dad after the fourth ticket, asking him to help me purchase a parking pass, he asked me why I didn't have one already, and it was halfway through the semester. I explained to him the story, thinking that he might understand where I was coming from. But instead, he responded. This is what he asked me. He said, what makes you think you are above the rules? Are you better than everyone else? See, I was living like I was the exception. And here's the funny thing. In the end, I ended up paying double for it. So what does the cross say to me when I believe that I am the exception? The cross says we all have sinned. The reason that Jesus died on the cross is that every single one of us was helpless and hopeless. We have all rebelled against God. So if I exempt myself from the group of the sinners, then that means that I exempt myself from the group of the saved. So when God deals with the world, he deals with both low and high, rich and poor together. If I believe that I am the exception... I will ruin my life. The second way for me to ruin my life is to try to redeem myself. Let's read verses 5 through 9 again. The psalmist says, Why should I fear in days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me? Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches... No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. The psalmist begins this section by asking why he should be afraid when powerful people come against him. And the reason that it wouldn't make sense for him to be afraid is that no matter how much power, no matter how much wealth, and no matter how much riches a person has, at the end of the day, it's never enough to redeem their soul. Redeem simply means to buy back. And on a more popular level, it means to make up for some bad thing that we have done. Verse 8 really gets at the heart of why it is so stupid for us to try to redeem ourselves. It says, for the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever. The cost of redemption is so high 
that none of us could pay it. It is too much for anyone to bear. Now, to understand why this this matters, we need to understand that redemption works on two different levels. The first level is the redemption that we think we need. And the second level is the redemption that we actually need. See, there are certain things in our lives that we have all done that we think that we have to make redemption for. It might be the person who overworks because they think they have to prove themselves. It might be the mom who thinks that she has to raise kids who turn out to be just perfect. It might even be the church member who anxiously serves and gives out of guilt, feeling like he has to pay God back. When we make some area of life into redemption like that, we end up getting crushed because the cost of redemption is too high. But this only gets at the first level. The second level is that we actually all do need redemption. If it is true that all of us have sinned, then it is also true that all of us deserve to die. We owe God an eternal price for our souls. And that is why the psalmist says he should cease trying forever. No matter how much we give to God, it will never be enough. Trying to pay for our eternal life, as verse 9 points us to, will actually be what leads us to eternal death. So many of the reasons that we are beat down, stressed, and a slave to work or family or maybe even the church is that we haven't come to realize that the high, immeasurable cost of redemption is killing us. And all the things that we are paying will never actually save us. So what does the cross say when I try to redeem myself? The cross says we all need Jesus. Verse 7 clearly says, No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. We all need Jesus because Jesus was more than a man. Now Jesus is no less than a man, but he was much more. Jesus could actually give the costly price of eternal restitution to God on our behalf because he himself is God. His infinite life alone can make up our eternal deficit. So, it's time for you and it's time for me to stop trying forever. If I trust Jesus for my redemption, then I become free to live, to serve, and to love. But if I try to redeem myself, I will ruin my life. The third way for me to ruin my life is to avoid thinking about death. Now, the psalmist has just brought up eternal life in verse 9, and his mention of it draws our attention towards death. But rather than shy away from death, he wants us to think about it. Look at verse 10. For he sees that even wise men die, the stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. In other words, take a good, long, hard look at death. Stare at it and assess what you see. Death is coming for us, whether we thought we knew how to navigate life or whether we lived our lives with reckless abandon. On Monday, I was over at the grave site near CCU, and I noticed that there are people who have already picked out their spot in the mausoleum. It has their birth date on the placard, but then there is no death date yet. That is actually wise living. 
coming to the grips with the fact that I might not know when I'm going to die, but I might as well start preparing for it. So why is avoiding thinking about death so bad for us? When we avoid thinking about death, our growth is stunted. Emotionally, we don't feel the gravity of life. Practically, we end up wasting our time. And missionally, we have no sense of urgency for the need of gospel advancement. When we trivialize death, we trivialize hell. And when we trivialize hell, we feel no sense of urgency to actually take Jesus seriously about making disciples of all nations and all neighborhoods. So what does the cross say when I avoid thinking about death? The cross says we all need a wake-up call. God wants us to look at death, to, to feel the seriousness of it. To, to feel the weight of the gravity of death. So are, are we then surprised that Jesus has commanded his church to remember him until he comes again by taking of that bread that represents his broken body for us and taking of that fruit of the, the vine that represents his covenant blood poured out for us. Christians are people who are called to regularly think about death. But if I avoid thinking about death, I will ruin my life. The fourth way for me to ruin my life is to live for my own legacy. Now at this point, we enter into the inner life, the inner thoughts of a person who has acknowledged that they are going to die. We pick up in verse 11. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. The person who lives for their own legacy is wrapped up in their own name. They just really desperately want to be remembered. So is that so bad? Can that ruin my life? The reason that living for my own legacy will ruin my life is because it turns my heart in on itself. I become so focused on me that every decision I make, I make with myself in mind. I live with me at the center of my universe. In our personal walk with God, an over-interest in our personal legacy makes us unwilling to suffer for Jesus. We are so worried about what, what people think that it keeps us from engaging in the social suffering that is inevitable when we stand up for him. When it's all about us, how could it possibly all be about Jesus? So what does the cross say to me when I am living for my own legacy? The cross screams that we are all made for the glory of God. We were made, created, handcrafted to worship him. Jesus was socially and actually murdered to prove once and for all that God is forever worthy of praise. So to live for my own legacy would be to ruin my life. If I want a legacy, if you want a legacy, then live for Jesus. The fifth way for me to ruin my life 
is to just keep walking. Let's read verse 13. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words. We learn that this kind of thinking and living is a way. It is a path. It is an overall direction of our lives. And we all know this way, and we are familiar with this path because it is all too natural for us. Living here at the beach, many of us know the power of drifting. When I was younger, I would go out and play in the ocean, and without realizing it, I would, I would drift further and further and further down in the, on the beach. And then all of a sudden, I would look up and realize that I had moved so far away from where I started. It's not like I tried to move down. The current just pulled me away. And that is what the way of the world is like. It is like a current that just slowly pulls us away from God. That, that it pulls us towards a life of the mundane. It creates these ruts in our life where we don't even realize that we are headed for destruction. We live our lives like Dory from Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. We know that our lives aren't the way we want them to be, but we keep repeating, just keep walking, just keep walking. We know that we have problems in our family that we probably should deal with, but we just repeat to ourselves, just keep walking, just keep walking. We know that we need to take time to reevaluate and reflect on our priorities, but everything and everyone in our world joins the chorus and chants, just keep walking, just keep walking. So what does the cross say to me when I have been swept into the way of the world, when the current of life is pulling me away from God? The cross says that we all need to repent. Every single one of us needs to change. Change should be a value in our lives, Change should be a value in our marriages, and change should be a value in our church. Repentance is simply change that is aimed in the direction of God. If we didn't need a radical life-altering change, what we called earlier a radical reorientation in our lives, then Jesus would have never had to die for our sins. So if I want to ruin my life, all I have to do is just keep walking. A reoriented life, a life shaped by the wisdom of the cross, changes the motto from just keep walking, just keep walking, to just keep turning, just keep turning. The sixth way for me to ruin my life is to live for today. Let's look back again at verses 14 and 15. As sheep they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning, and their form shall be for Sheol to consume, so that they have no habitation. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. For all of us, our existence is really going to play out in one of two ways. We can either invest in today and lose everything tomorrow, or we can invest in tomorrow, which will far surpass anything we could have imagined today. If we choose to invest all our stock in today, 
then we may enjoy a certain measure of success, happiness, and comfort for a few short decades. But as this text reminds us, all the while, death will be our shepherd. The image that I want you to consider is that of an animal that a family is going to eat. You don't eat the animal as soon as you get it. You want as much meat on the bones as you possibly can, so you, quote, fatten the calf. Have you ever thought about how happy that calf must be during the fattening process? All this grass just for me, and I can have as much as I want? When verse 14 says, their form shall be for Sheol to consume. That basically means that living for today is like being a fattened calf. The more we accomplish in our own strength and for our own glory, the more meat on the bones for death to feed on. We're over here living like we have it made, and all the while we are simply being prepped for our slaughter. The place that I see many of us have fallen victim to the living for today mentality is in the context of our families. Without realizing it, uh, we've been tempted to believe that we can create little heavens on earth in our homes. We are driven to keep up with the trends, fashions, and fads. And listen, while no parent might say it in, in these particular words, we have been much, become much more concerned with whether our kids get a good job and are able to live comfortably in this life than the eternal state of their souls. And it is without a doubt that one of the driving forces behind the current divorce rate that we see in our times is the fact that so many of us are living for today. We want what we want, and we want it now. We aren't willing to wait on God's timing, and so we do whatever it takes to try to create heaven on earth now. So what does the cross say to people like us who are living for today? The cross says that we all need the hope of a better future. Jesus, the Savior, endured the cross for the joy set before him. When we try to create heaven on earth, it only says that we aren't willing to suffer for Jesus now so that we might reign with him forever. Look how much hope there is in these couple verses. First, the psalmist tells us in verse 14, the upright shall rule over them in the morning. We are like the kid who's been promised the platter of cookies. If we can just for one hour hold off from eating the, the one measly cookie that's sitting in front of us. The future is so bright, but our immature minds have such a hard time understanding the power of promise. We can't get our eyes on those future promises of God. And the promise is grounded in verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. See, hell would consume us too. And our sins would be its fuel, except for this one little important fact. That Jesus Christ was consumed by death, so that those who place their faith in him will be redeemed from death forever. Jesus offers us an amazing future 
But if I live for today, I will ruin my life. If I take the cookie, I lose the promised prize. The seventh way for me to ruin my life is for me to assess life by possessions. We'll dive into verses 16 and 17. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. We are all tempted to assess life by possessions. We analyze how much we have in the bank compared to how much other people have in the bank. We analyze what kind of car we drive compared to what other kind of car people drive. We end up assessing life by what we have and by what everybody else around us has. So what is the big problem with assessing life by possessions? Well, it makes us a slave. We constantly feel like we have to have something to show for our lives. And we are constantly worried about what everybody else around us has and possesses. The biggest problem with this is that we inevitably end up corrupting what the Bible says about wealth and possessions by falling into one of two ditches. We either fall into the ditch of materialism, where we believe that our whole world is defined by how much we have. Or we fall into the ditch of minimalism, where we treat money and possessions like they are evil. But really, either way, the materialist and the minimalist have the same problem. They assess life by possessions. And that is the power of verses 16 and 17, because it doesn't say, stop being a materialist and become a minimalist. Instead, it says, do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. In other words, don't let possessions and riches have control over you. Your peace and security is not found in what you have, and your peace and security is not found in what you don't have. So, what does the cross have to say to us when we are assessing life by possessions? I think that our gut reaction is to think that the cross drives us towards minimalism, but that falls short of a cross-centered perspective of our stuff. The cross actually says that we all need to be faithful stewards. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Let let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. God's scoreboard for life is not in relation to the accumulation or the minimization of possessions. His scoreboard for life is what we do with our possessions. The cross screams stewardship because Jesus leveraged his infinite wealth to pay off our infinite debt. Whether it is in our church, our families, or even our individual hearts, God wants to set us free from assessing life by possessions. He wants to unleash us to be the best and most faithful stewards that we can possibly be. But if I assess life by possessions, I will ruin my life. The eighth way for me to ruin my life 
is for me to bless myself. We pick up in verse 18. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. So much of what drives our hearts with regards to wealth and legacy is the desire to be praised in this life. So many of us live, as verse 18 says, to congratulate ourselves. It is all about us. We treat ourselves, we love ourselves, we boast about ourselves, and many of the humble things that we do, we even do those things to be noticed by others. So what is so bad about blessing ourselves? Well, blessing myself is at the heart of entitlement. This is what drives the mentality of what's in it for me. This is what has created an entire church culture of consumers who take, take, and take, but never invest. Now, I am so thankful that so many of you are investors and not consumers, but know this, that is the exception and not the norm. The worst thing about this kind of mentality is that it makes following Jesus impossible. When life is all about us, we become grumpy, proud, and self-protective. When life is all about us, instead of becoming disciples of Jesus, we become disciples of Toby Keith. You know the song, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you usually, but occasionally I want to talk about me. So what does the cross say to people like us who live in a culture that tells us it is right to bless myself? The cross says that we are blessed to be a blessing. The reason that people who bless themselves will never see the light is that we get so blinded by our own self-significance that we can't see the beauty and the glory of Jesus. We have, have we been blessed in Christ? Eternally. We have every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places but it's not because we live to bless ourselves. We are the most blessed so that we can join in with God to be a blessing to others. If I bless myself, I will ruin my life. The ninth and final way for me to ruin my life is to refuse the knowledge of God. Now here in verse 20, we get almost a repeat of verse 12. But here, there is a small addition. Both verses talk about man in his pomp. Think about honor and glory and a, a splendid display. Both verses say that man in his pomp is basically just like an animal who eats as much as he can and then dies. But verse 20 adds, man in his pomp yet without understanding is like the beasts that perish. In other words, this doesn't have to be the story of our lives. 
If the knowledge of God, if the wisdom of the cross comes in and really reorients our lives, then we can actually have a meaningful existence. If we begin to interpret life through the wisdom of the cross, we can actually become human again. But here's our problem. We get really offended by the idea that God is calling us stupid. We really want for Him to reveal His will to us. But when He does, we don't like it. As the proverb says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So what does the cross say to me when I am refusing the knowledge of God? The cross says that we all need a fresh vision. We all need to see our suffering and our wealth and our legacy and our death and our future from a different perspective. And if we go on without God's understanding, we are no better than the beasts of the field that will just perish. But the cross clears things up for us. It changes how we see everything. But if I refuse the knowledge of God, I will ruin my life. As we conclude this morning, I just want to share with you one concern I have. I have a great fear that many of us have become enemies of the cross without even realizing it. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 wrote this. For many walk, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping, that there are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. It is really, really easy for us to ruin our lives. All we have to do is crave having our bellies full and desire worldly honor and love having lots of things. We started the sermon today talking about the Titanic and we are going to end it talking about the Pirates of Caribbean. Now I'm not sure what that says about me, but in the pirate movie, uh, Jack Sparrow has a compass. And rather than pointing north, the compass points to whatever your heart desires the most. Now, at some point in the movies, the compass stops working and it just spins and spins and spins in circles. And that is what sin does to our sense of, the, of our decision-making capacity. Sin deceives our sense of direction. It in a way, it spins our compass. But then at one point, Jack realizes that Elizabeth Swan wants to go to the same place that he does. So while the compass is spinning round and round, he hands it to Elizabeth, and immediately it points them in the right direction. You and I need a radical reorientation. We need salvation. We need to hand over the compass of our lives to someone who hasn't been made stupid by sin. 
All the warning signs in our lives are there. We are all on the verge of ruining our lives. The question is, could we become humble enough to hand the compass of our lives over to Jesus and trust him to lead us? Will we stop the spinning madness of our overconfidence in our wealth and in our pride and in the wisdom of this world and fully and completely embrace the wisdom of the cross? For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Lord, once again, we just humbly bow before you. We know that in our hearts and in our lives, we need, we need to do some rearranging. God, we desperately need your wisdom to come down and form us to the pattern of the cross to keep us from loving ourselves and to keep us from loving this world. God, and to keep us from trying again and again and again to redeem ourselves. Lord, we humbly bow before your grace this morning. We receive Jesus. We put our full trust in him, knowing that there is no other hope and no other name. God, we need you. Come into our lives now and save us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.